doing multiple projects is like trying to toast bread with a flashlight. Like you need to really <laughs> focus and get something to generate revenue before you can kind of experiment outside. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 156 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to introduce you to Andrew Fiebert, the founder of Get Lasso and Listen Money Matters, which is one of the largest personal finance blogs on the internet, and the Listen Money Matters podcast, which while not running anymore, when it was, it was one of the biggest personal finance podcasts on the internet. Andrew is a serial entrepreneur and tinkerer with even more businesses under his belt. And during this podcast, we covered a variety of topics from his tips on how to manage a lot of different projects and businesses at the same time, personal finance tips and strategies for entrepreneurs, working with your spouse, the state of the affiliate marketing business, and much more. If you're a business nerd like me, you're going to love this wide ranging conversation. Before we jump into the interview, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter, Remote Insider, where I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business, tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called Mandatory Reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I can guarantee you will also love being a Remote Insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash Remote Insider, and that's Remote Insider, all one word, no dashes. Also, I would like to thank SafetyWing for sponsoring the show. I will tell you a bit more about the awesome things they're working on later in the episode. As always, if you enjoy this episode, share it on Twitter or Instagram and tag me at Mitkoka, M-I-T-K-O-K-A, or send it to a friend you think will enjoy it. And while you're there, give me a follow as well. I've been really ramping up my Twitter content and I'd love to connect with you over there. Finally, if you haven't left a review already, please consider leaving one wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate that. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Andrew Fiebert. All right, Andrew, welcome to the show, man. I am so excited uh, for you to be here. I'm a longtime uh, Listen Money Matters listener, so this is uh, when your team reached out for you to be on the podcast, I was like, yes, Andrew, come on the podcast. I'm so excited. <laughs> Uh, that was like so close to my heart for so long. I love it. And and I love money. So there you go. So, okay. As another podcaster, I just thought about this because, you know, right before we hit record, we both like took a swig of a drink. What is your, do you have a go-to drink that you have with you before or like when you're about to record a podcast? Is there like a thing that you always have to have with you? Because like, I always have to have a drink with me when I'm recording. So, so always have to have a drink. Um, in the beginning when I was recording with Matt, I was so nervous, even though it was just like two sweaty dudes and not even in the same room. Uh, so, so I would drink beer because it would like chill me out. And then, and then it became like a shtick. Um, but I guess beer is good for, you know. So that, I do remember good. that now that you guys would like when you would first like start recording, you would always share what beers you were drinking. And I mean, Matt's obviously like a, the beer nerd. But if I remember correctly, you were really into stouts or like. Is that correct? 
Yeah, like like the darker ones. They're almost, yeah. it's almost like drinking bread. Uh, I came to like really become like a connoisseur <laughs> of all the different types. That's funny. Matt would be like, stay away from the twelve percenters. You're only good for two episodes. Then, <laughs> Wait, would you guys record like uh, you do multiple episodes at a time? Oh, dude, all day Thursdays we would try to get four or five episodes done. Oh my We're god, big that's, batchers. That's so crazy because if I do like two episodes, like you're my second interview for the day, mm. I'm done. Like I have. Oh, dude, I'm I would be almost exhausted. spent. Yeah. Well, so I started it. I had a full-time job and I got to work from home one day a week, which which was the day, ironically, I didn't work at all. And I just recorded all day with Matt. So we kind of had that. Mm. And then once I transitioned to full-time, it just it worked well, you know? Gotcha. So I just discovered these new drinks. Uh, they're called, they're called, what are they called? Cow Tao, something like that. Where did they go? It's uh no it's Zoa it's Zoa it's the rocks and new energy drink have you heard of it no so okay the, I'm so excited I feel like I just like wanted to work this into the conversation because I'm so pumped <laughs> about it but so there are these new energy drinks that he has they're not sponsoring the podcast by the way I was like uh, how much are they paying but, you man yeah, wow. yeah right I was like the rock <laughs> I know you have deep pockets but they are like he markets them as like healthy energy drinks. Mm. And they're actually the first productivity drink that I've found that's actually worked where like I take, I drink it. And then 30 minutes later, I'm like, great articles. Uh, do I need to work something on my website? Uh, <laughs> outreach emails, you know what I mean? And so I've been doing that before podcast interviews now and, and it's been great. So if you want to try it out, I, I recommend it, but let's talk a little bit about listen, money matters, because, uh, I do want to touch on that. It was a podcast that I really, really enjoyed. I love listening to you and Matt shoot the shit. Matt uh, Juvenisi, by the way, for those who hear us mention Matt, uh, we were just talking about it. He was, uh, I think, podcast episode number 25. Um, but what happened there? Like, why did you guys decide to to stop doing that? Because uh, I know that the last episode, I think, was in like 2020, right? So it's been a few years. So yeah. so what happened? Why did you decide to to pause that? So uh, this it's, it's crazy. It's hard to understand, I guess having like, if you're aspiring to, to build this thing, listen, my marriage was huge. We were getting over 650,000 downloads um, a month, you know? Uh, but what happens is like, we were talking about this stuff for like eight years. Mm -hmm. And so there gets to be a point where like, I didn't want to talk about the news. I wanted to like teach people things or go into tactics or I, I am, I want to learn. And so it's like my kind of vessel to like learn and teach. And I just was kind of done talking about it. I still like am interested in love it. So there's that. Um, and it became like ruthlessly competitive. We stepped in before a lot of people did it. Then people copied us, ripped us off. It was even like to the point where there was like two dudes drinking beers, talking about money. And it just, it became exhausting. Like I, I didn't, you know, not that I needed people to know that we did it first or not that it even matters, but you know. Especially in like the f money, like personal finances industry, because there's so much money in it, right? Like mm. those advertisers are, are, I imagine are paying way more than like the average advertiser. So there's tons of people trying to, trying to compete for that. It's ridiculously lucrative and that's probably underselling it. <laughs> you can get hundreds of dollars if someone signs up for a credit card. They don't need to whip their own credit card out, pay. Personal capital will pay over $100. So like 
Oh my God. And, and everything is related to money. So is that something that you've ever thought about restarting or how did you, I guess, how did you decide that it was time to quit? Because you can feel, I think there's people who, who feel like, okay, maybe I'm getting tired on this, but they feel like there's something tied to their ego about the fact that you had mm. such a successful podcast. It can almost be hard to do that. Like, like how else will I be known to the public other than the guy yeah. who does this podcast? It, it probably took me about two years to actually quit where I was like kind of feeling it. Um, I will say, and, and only because I've been recently sharing these numbers for, for my, my new business and kind of like to cement authority. But uh, since 2018, I've, I've made uh, 2.6 million in affiliate revenue. And so I was in a, a, a spot where I can choose my project. And so I could mm -hmm. like literally turn it off and, and it still earns, but I could turn it off and do something that fills me up more, you know? So that 2.6 million from affiliates, was that just from Listen Money Matters as like the website or the other, because I know you have multiple other businesses. So is that total from all of those or? That's just affiliate revenue. And mm -hmm. I mean, the lion's share is from our, our top two sites. Um, and, and we made podcast ad revenue. We sold courses, you know, we sell a SaaS thing, but that was like just literally like affiliate links and other people's shit that we were selling. Have you thought about it's time to restart it? Yes. Um, and, and not to like commit to a thing, but, but it may likely happen soon. And the thought is it's going to maybe straddle money and online business because mm. I've been starting to feel like it's a, a bit disingenuous to talk about like optimizing your IRA as the way to get rich while I got rich by right, creating right. an online business. Yeah, for sure. I also think like, and I don't know if Matt's coming back for this, but I also think this idea of shooting the shit online has become way more popular. Like the episodes, trans like transparency-wise, the episodes that do the best on this podcast are the ones where I bring on my buddy Chase Warrington, who's the head of Remote Aduist. And we just like shoot the shit and like talk about like whatever, like we might have two, three topics. And even though it's just the two of us, it's not like I'm bringing on like a big guest with an audience or something like that. Those episodes consistently do the best. And I feel like people listening are almost ready for that over like, you know, okay, next person comes on to, to talk, you know. Yeah. I mean, for years, we got the consistent feedback that it just felt like, you know, they were hanging out with their friends, mm -hmm. uh, that they were listening. The other people would say they'd like be talking to us in their car, even though we can't hear type deal. And so, yeah, I think it's just, it's more approachable and, and no one wants to be lectured, you know? And I think that's where the, the people who came before us lost, like Susie Orman's great and all, but stop telling me what I can buy. Right, right. And I think like Ramit Sethi has done a great job of like, you know, like reversing that conversation. I think that's why he's been mm. so successful where everyone in the personal finance space tells you, don't buy this, you know, don't spend $3 on your coffee. And Ramit Sethi's like, no, fuck it, like spend six, you know, if that's your thing, like go for it. One thing that I was always really fascinated by, and in some ways, um, when I was listening to you guys on the podcast, uh, very envious of, of, of you and Matt was that you both seemed like you were doing multiple things at the same time. And for me, that's something that I've always wanted because I have that sort of personality where like, if you tell me you can only work on this for like the next 10 years, 
even if it's like the most lucrative thing in the world, I'm kind of going to like freak out. Like I need different projects. And I was very envious because it seemed to me like you guys had figured out how to do that and be productive and make money and have all of those things have some level of success. So I was wondering if you can like, was that, was it true? Like, how were you guys able to figure that out? And sort of what sort of tips or advice would you have for anyone who's maybe like me, who is listening and wants to have multiple projects? Like, how do you manage to juggle all of that? Yeah. So it was true. Um, you're, you're probably thinking something more towards like three-ish years into our journey. And, and uh, someone had come on the List of My Matters show once and they gave this analogy. Now I just like beat it to death everywhere. But you know, doing multiple projects, it's like trying to toast bread with a flashlight. Like you need <laughs> to really focus and get something to generate revenue before you can kind of experiment outside. And then the thing that a lot of people don't talk about, you know, especially the ones where I'm like a one man or one woman business and I generate a bazillion dollars is their teams behind all of us. And so it really, it's not even so much as like hire people as like, as you do things like come up with your processes, document it. So when you, when you're ready to bring someone in, they can just kind of step in and like be a robot you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was something that I wanted to, to discuss with you because you now have gone on to to basically be in charge of of Lasso, which is uh, uh by the, explain what Lasso does for people who don't know. I was about to explain it. And I was like, let me let Andrew do this. <laughs> yeah. So in the internet, like level one, you just like put a text link on your site, and like I don't know, like everyone would like buy shoes off of your site. Well, now known as time or attention, people generally don't care, and so they need to be beautiful, stick out kind of promotions. Just tell me the answer. And then like, as you grow your site, like what happened on that article that you created 10 years ago or whatever, is it even monetized? And so Lasso really manages your online affiliate income or product income at scale. Um, it's, it's, you know, an affiliate link manager. It tells you where your money-making links are, helps you optimize that stuff. So it's like an app that you guys built yourselves, you and Matt, for your own websites in order to manage all those affiliate links and kind of make them pretty on the website to, you know, essentially like increase conversions and be able to like manage those links better. Would yeah, that be exactly. It lives in WordPress. There's like a cloud component that we use and I'll tell you if things are out of stock, whatever, but it lives where you're creating. So around that, you now have a team. Like I think I saw on the website, it's like 10 people, uh, including you and what has that transition been like? Because to, I think to a majority of people, the dream is to be this like, like you meant like this like solopreneur creator who is working by themselves. Maybe there's like one or two freelancers behind the scenes kind of making everything run, but it's like super high profit versus being the head of an organization like you are now, right? Where you have multiple people reporting to you. So what has that transition been like? And what have been like the pros and cons of each? You know, there's a lot of people who are like afraid of that or like, I will not do that. I just want to be by myself and whatever. But I think it kind of like it, one, I, I think like adding people to your team is like the worst metric of success. Ideally, you should have as few as possible because it's really hard to kind of manage people. Um, but it's like I worked a lot with Matt. And so it's like you if you pick people like that, that you get along with and work well with, and then all of a sudden your team is just a bunch of people that you really like. And kind of you're all pushing forward. And so where your idea is like this seed that you plant and you're watering and you're tending to it, the team is the fertilizer. Like once you get a team, the growth, like it just, 
it grows at a rate that you just cannot do on your own. Mm. So because there's some people that are on the internet or on Twitter, for example, like Peter Levels. Do you know who Peter Levels is? I know. He's the the founder of Nomad List, if you've ever heard of it. It's like a, this website mm. that like ranks different cities based on like how favorable they are for digital nomads. And he's one of these people who is very big on being a solo like builder, being a solo founder. And he will consistently create these like unicorn small businesses that do like huge numbers and he just runs them by themselves. And I think a lot of people see that and think that luck plays a much smaller part in that than it actually does. Like I think Peter is very talented, but the fact that he's Peter levels really helps him have these like kick-ass businesses. And I think for like the rest of us mortals, we need to have a team in order to do something that's that impactful, right? Mm. You know, my, my dad used to always tell me, you put your pants, everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. And uh, after you do this dance, this online dance for a while, you just become really good at it. And you wind up being this like, honestly, like this like weird unicorn that can do all these things that no one else can do. And you, you become really good. But, you know, you, you can't forget the fact that this guy's been doing it for probably a decade or more. And so right. it, all you got to do is show, if you show up every day and do anything for a decade badly, you'll be pretty good. And so it's like that consistency, you know, and it's not fair to compare yourself to him because you're starting today or a year ago, you know, in 10 years, you'll be him and people will be looking at you like, look at that overnight success. He's just lucky. You know, well, he also worked really hard and no one knew who he was. How do you know it's, um, it's time for you to lean into the building the team and, and, and building that organization. Like, was there something in, in you where you were like, all right, it's time for me to go down this route? I think it's like two ways. There, there's like the obvious selfish way, which is like, I'm doing this thing I don't want to do, so I'm going to pay someone else to do it. And I think that typically is the worst way to go. The thing is, the things that you really like to do and you're really good at, you're going to be much better at managing, much better at delegating. And the things that you're not as good at probably is because you haven't figured it out and no one cares more about your business than you. So you're going to really have to figure it out and then teach someone. And so I think uh, you should try and extend yourself where you have strengths and then like lean into where you're not great and learn. So do you think there's anything personality wise there where one personality is better catered to doing the solopreneur thing where another personality might be better with an organization because um i just interviewed uh wes kale from from maven and one of the things that she talked about was that like for her she was like i tried the creator thing and i could do it but i my personality was far more in this like being uh, part of an organization type thing and, and like leading an organization. So what do you think about that? Like, are, is, is there like a personality type that's just better tailored or better suited for that? I, I will say I resonate with her. I prefer to be in a dark room alone, coding and building. I, I am fulfilled when I build, when I have my one-on-ones with the team, I enjoy it, but it's not like the thing that fills my cup. I think, um, you know, and, and it's easy to kind of lean into that and it's harder to put yourself out there and maybe sound dumb. Um, but I would say you need to be, you need to care about growing other people. And if you can grow someone else, you know, uh, one, you'll have a friend for life and, you know, they're going to just be awesome. You know, anyone I've worked with, I, I treat it as like a mentor mentee relationship. 
We teach each other. We grow together. I wanted to take a quick break and tell you about our sponsor for today's episode, Safety Wing. As a longtime digital nomad and remote worker, I can tell you from experience that travel medical insurance is extremely important. The more time you spend abroad, the more you increase your chances that eventually something will happen. Maybe you will get sick and need to see a doctor, or you're going to crash your scooter in Bali and have to get a cast. Either way, figuring out how to pay for that procedure in a foreign country is not what you're going to want to deal with at that moment. And that's why I love Safety Wing. Their services are designed for people like you and me. Their Nomad Insurance is a global travel medical insurance with emergency coverage across 185 countries. Their remote health package, on the other hand, provides remote companies and employees with global health insurance. Not to mention that Safety Wing is also funding the Plumia Project, which is working to establish the first ever country on the internet. So if you're still nomading unprotected, what are you doing head over to safetywing.com and find the insurance package that's right for you and also consider using the affiliate link in the show notes which will directly support me in continuing to produce this podcast so thanks again to safetywing for sponsoring us and now back to the episode so inside of lasso just to kind of like go in deeper on the team here because i'm curious do you are those people that are working for you right like i said there's nine people uh outside of you inside the company are those people like full-time employees or um or or are a majority of them contractors so um one and you know i guess it's fitting that you know the, the topic of the show uh everyone's remote uh everyone works whatever ever hours they want and you know, we really just solve that by focusing on the urgent important work or just removing the chance of urgent work um, but everyone's contractors and anyone who's been on the team has lasted on the team for six months is vesting ownership. And so hopefully we'll go to an employee setup next year. I did that with Lesson Money Matters. And honestly, once you get to the W-2s, it gets very expensive. You start getting fined for the government because you didn't file some whatever form. It's just so costly. And the truth is people don't really care that much about it. Um, I'm a money nerd, so I help them with the math. I give them access to my tax guy to show them that it's actually more efficient to be your own business than to be an employee. Um, and the the right people, that isn't the deciding factor. They really care about your mission. So the people who wind up coming onto my teams, we not like they avoid that conversation. I'll talk about anything, but we really don't focus on that. Yeah. I think that's kind of the reason why I asked that is because I really think that that's going to be the future of employment, at least for a while, just because, uh, like you said, like being a W-2 employee is costly for companies. It introduces a whole bunch of complexity that small companies don't want or don't have like the ability to solve. And on top of that, you know, with remote work, the best person to do the job might not be in the United States, right? They might be somewhere abroad. And so, you know, how do you, if you wanted to bring that person on as a full-time employee through a W-2, it, it just, it exponentially increases the amount of complexities. Now, as the money guy, I feel like I have a unique opportunity here to ask you about the negatives of not being a W-2 employee, because there's a lot of people who are contractors who have difficulty living in the United States and doing some of these like basic parts of life in the U S and those parts become more difficult as a contract, for example, health insurance, or even I've heard stories of people who 
actually earn good money when you look at you know the on paper uh but they can't get like mortgages from from uh mortgage companies because they want to see you know a w2 salary so how do you how do you recommend or how do you coach your employees and your team to deal with those negatives and still get the best of both worlds so that's totally true with the mortgage situation uh, recently my wife and I bought a home assets to buy this home essentially in cash multiple times over. And it was such a rigmarole to get them to sign off on it. And I've talked to plenty of entrepreneurs, same, same situation. Um, Obamacare, whatever we're calling it now generally solves, um, health insurance. Gusto is doing that now. I know a lot of people using Gusto. Um, I think the biggest downside, like those are known and not everyone's like, for buying a house, that's a very specific time in your life. You're not like buying a house every year. Um, at least not the people that I can afford to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the thing I think that scares people the most and that they need to consider is that when you're your own contractor, you're paying taxes later. And so you need to have like basically a tax checking account where you just, every time you get paid, you take 20%, you put it in that account. So you could pay your quarterly taxes. It's like a don't touch for later thing. But the thing is with the contractor versus W-2 is you can write off as many things as you want or as little or what. So I don't know, like your clothes because you wear a uniform or your mic for recording, your computer, internet, cell phone bill, food. Uh, and so that's kind of like the super benefit of being a contractor. I'm uh, I'm not going to say who this is for obvious reasons, but I have a friend who likes to say, uh, I want an accountant who's not afraid to go to jail, <laughs> <Because> <laughs> which I just, I love as like a quote. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is incredible how much power you have uh, and how many savings you can get if you purchase things for your business, right? And, and I mean, there's so many things that you said you can write off, especially I think it gets tricky and you start towing the the gray hat sort of part of taxes when you you know like live the way that that we do where there's so many times where like I go out to work and I go to the coffee shop and I'm like well technically this is a business expense like I'm working I'm having a business meeting there's so much of this overlap that can happen and I'm curious if you think and of course this may be just a guess but you have way more of a handle on the pulse of, of what could happen than, than most of us. Do you think there's a possibility that the the way that taxes get handled or anything that can change over the next like decade based on how many more people are going to be, I think, freelancers, contractors, entrepreneurs post-COVID now that remote work has kind of unlocked that? I mean, yeah, they, they can and they are. Um, the, so there's this book. It's called Tax-Free Wealth. It's by this guy, Tom Wheelwright. Um, and I'd already been a super personal finance nerd before reading the book. And, and like literally before you even get to the first chapter, your mind will be blown and, and it will be continued to be blown as you go through. Because the way that we look at taxes as, is as like this punitive thing that will only result in punishment and you're going to do wrong and blah, blah, blah. When really it's just a document outlying a set of incentives. The government wants you to do this, not this. They want you to invest here, not there. And maybe it's because it's an opportunity zone. They want to grow the city or, you know, blah, blah, whatever the reasons are. And so instead of doing, you know, lumbering on and kind of battling with this thing, you can look at this list of incentives and follow them 
to your benefit. And one is like treating yourself like you're a business. You know, real estate is an obvious one. It's like such, I think it's like, the, I don't know, maybe the biggest tax loophole. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, but as you kind of look at things that way, you realize that by having a business meeting where you cover lunch, you're not like screwing the government over and they're going to find you. You're doing exactly what they want you to do, grow a business that creates jobs and sends money all around the economy. Um, and I think you should just kind of go about it that way. Mm, I like that. I'm, I'm going to have to check that book out. Do you have any other, uh, like I said, I, I think the general economy is headed into a more entrepreneurial direction. Like I think you're going to have more entrepreneurial flavor in, in, in the economy, in the, in the mainstream. Do you have any like other advice for people around how to manage their finances, how to, you know, budget or whatever it may be, how to like set, how to set yourself up for financial success long-term? Because I think a lot of people are kind of used to just doing whatever their company tells them to do, right? Like 401k and like, you know, whatever, and kind of relying on somebody to figure that out for, for you. How can entrepreneurs, you know, set themselves up for financial success long-term? I think, we, you know, in the SEO space, we talk a lot about EAT, expertise, authority, trust. And, uh, you know, it's not about being like intoxicated with yourself, but I think building up that continually is so important as you transition around doing whatever you're doing. And I don't know, maybe you're participating in Stack Overflow as a developer or whatever it is, you know, the resume is slowly going the way of, I don't know, the Flintstones car. Um, and, and it's more about like, what have you done? You know, what has your experience been? Show me, don't tell me. Um, and so I think just being conscious of that and how you conduct yourself online is super important. In terms of budgeting for a contractor, like if you if you were W-2, I'd say like keep a month and a half expenses around. Um, but if, if it's like wavy ups and downs, maybe you keep three or four months in your checking account because people over uh, value whatever nominal rate you're going to earn, even in the market, 7% return. It's really not that great versus your own business as compared to the reduce in stress you'll have knowing that you can today make the best decision long-term versus, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, I need 50 more bucks to cover blah, blah, blah expense. And so it's really just giving yourself a buffer so that you could operate um, in the best way possible for the long-term. Yeah, like what you said about the first thing when I when I asked that question was immediately on like, well, build yourself up so that, you know, you have opportunities and work. And it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you ever listened to the, the Tropical MBA podcast before. I know. Yeah, I've listened before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they have this uh, uh, Dan, who's one of the co-hosts. He has one of the one of these uh, concepts of like the 1000 day rule, which essentially ma means it's going to take you about a thousand days for you to be able to like rely on your business or to feel some sort of stability in your business. And I think that has also a lot to do in terms of stability with you mentally knowing that you've, that you can rely on yourself, right? Like whether, like, even if that business shuts down, you now have like three years of experience that means something, whether it's in this business or you go out and you use that experience to get a job. Like you have this level of like, I know I'll be okay. I'll be able to figure it out. I can leverage this into something else. Um, and so I think that it is, I totally agree. I think it's really important to build yourself up and and to know that, you know, 
you no matter what happens, you can you can build an income or you can get an income somehow. I want to shift over and to talk a little bit about affiliate marketing a little bit because obviously uh, with Lasso, you're the expert on affiliate marketing uh, and, and you've been in that world for a really long time. But I feel like there's been this sense, at least in the broader online business world, that affiliate marketing is kind of dying or that it's dead. And I think maybe <laughs> that started with, with Amazon. Uh, really mm. slashing the rates. And funny enough, I had this question written down as something that I wanted to ask you. And then I went on Twitter and I was scrolling and I came upon this conversation between uh, two mutual friends of ours, I believe Sean Ogle and Matt Giovanisi. And Sean uh, tweeted, and, and I quote, last month I made over $6,000 from one product with, within one affiliate program. Despite what you may be hearing, affiliate marketing is not dead. And then uh, Matt responded to that saying, I make plenty of money with affiliate products but I still think it's dying a slow death. What do, I want to get your opinion on this. What do you think? Because I understand what both people are saying. I understand what yeah. Sean is saying and I understand what Matt is saying there. But what so, do you think? I like Matt, you know, and, and we've worked well together for a long time. He, he wrote an article on this um, and, and it's a very narrow view on just is it, his... I think he plugged it in the in the thread. So, yeah, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. Matt, Matt is a pro at that. The, the thing is... Um, there is performance marketing and there's non-performance marketing. Non-performance marketing is like a display ad or a billboard. To a degree, it's Google ads. And so in that case, the market, the advertiser is taking all of the risk. I'm going to put this billboard up and hope someone, I don't know, goes and wants my legal advice or something. And then there's performance-based where the advertiser does not pay until a sale is generated. And so affiliate marketing is performance-based where everyone is happy to engage with Listen Money Matters or my other sites because it costs them nothing. They don't care. And if I send them a sale, they'll give me a small percent, you know, but only if I send a sale. And it's all automated. And uh, the truth is while, you know, yes, Amazon cut their rates because they're a beast and they can. Um, and I think like, you know, the average people are getting is 3%. A lot of people on the Lasso Network are earning 20 to 30% commissions on Amazon. Because what you do is you make direct deals with the biggest products that you sell. There's the Amazon attribution platform that you can use so that the, the brand that's selling the goods on Amazon can literally see that the sales are coming from you. You invoice them monthly. Uh, a VA can do it. And so even if you were all in on Amazon, it could still be incredibly lucrative. And then obviously everyone else wants to compete with Amazon. So they'll, they'll basically pay you an arm and a leg. Um, and, and we were talking before the show in the personal finance space, hundreds of dollars you can make by getting someone to fill out a credit card form. Doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I mean, there's credit cards for every type of person, basically. Bad credit, good credit, whatever. Um, and so to get someone to fill out a form, a couple hundred bucks, and then at scale, that's a really big business. That, that business is called NerdWallet. Mm, right. But do you feel like, and or maybe I'm not in this bubble anymore, but I remember when I got started in online business in like 2016, I feel like affiliate marketing was like what everyone was doing, or at least it was like what everyone was talking about. Is it just me that I'm out of that sphere anymore? Or do you feel like the interest in it or the popularity of affiliate marketing has decreased? You know, um, well, one, I've made an investor deck, and so I can tell you that the interest in affiliate marketing and the number of affiliate marketers that exist 
um, and the amount of programs and all that stuff has increased at, at like a eye-watering rate uh, pretty consistently for the past few years. Um, what I will say is I think that the focus and the conversation has gone to traffic. And people, I think because it's easier to acquire and people seem to like attach their personal value to that. But the truth is most of the traffic is literal garbage uh, and they're not going to convert. And but what's hard is finding the, the good traffic and selling them what they want. But, you know, Matt Givanesi or Sean Olga, or any of the people who have been successful, that's what they are actually good at is intuitively knowing what those things are and doing that. And so like there, there was about a year where Listen Money Matters ranked number one in Google for passive income. We put an enormous amount of time and effort towards getting there. I think it was like a 59,000 volume a month keyword. The difficulty was like over 70 in Ahrefs. And when we got it, we realized that almost all the traffic was garbage because literally who searches for passive income? Right, there, right. Most my Google queries have like, I don't know, four, five, six words in it. And so- you know, and now everyone's kind of waking up to like chase the 40 volume keyword where 38 are going to literally buy. That's worth more than 59,000 that none will buy. Yeah. I also think there's these like waves of popularity in online business, right? Like maybe it was drop shipping and then it became Amazon FBA and then it was affiliate marketing. And then it became like right now, I feel like newsletters are super hot. Like there's like everyone has a newsletter and everyone's making money on newsletters. And it almost, uh, uh, to me, seems similar to, uh, I had a friend explain to me how like crypto cycles work. And essentially he said like, usually it's three years, like everything sucks. Everybody's like, you know, makes fun of crypto. And then there's like one news event, like one thing happens that sparks like a big bull run. And I feel like the same thing kind of happens in these waves in the online business world where you have some development, something happens that like sparks everything. So maybe like Substack, you know, opening up and, and now everybody jumps on, on newsletters and then, you know, something else happens that sparks another one. And I, I think it's interesting to think about like what that spark could be, because then you can position yourself to be in the best place to, to profit or to benefit from that. Because I don't know if this is going to sound bad, but like I've been talking about remote work since 2018. I started this podcast 2019. I had no idea COVID was going to happen and like blow up the world in terms of remote work. But I kind of had this idea of something's eventually going to happen. Like people like I just I don't see a world in which remote work doesn't become popular because of all the variables that I, I think make it important. And so I was like, I'm going to put myself in this position to, to win because I think eventually this is going to happen. So I think that's like an interesting thing to, to think about, like what could spark, you know, affiliate marketing to become as popular as it once was or, or to be the next like newsletters, quote unquote. I think it's like, um, it's like two pieces. One in the beginning, it's an arbitrage opportunity where it's like, wait, there are podcasts and it's this massive pile on and the early ones certainly do really well and then do make a lot of money. But I think where people make a mistake is they think that it's saturated years, like literally years, like five, six, seven years before it's actually saturated. And so everyone pulls back and it's the ones who can just, like, I love that thousand day rule. Cause I tell everyone it's about three years from when I was able to do it. Uh, like you just need a last. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's like a war of attrition. You need to be the one left after everyone gives up because they couldn't make a hot, fast buck. And then all of a sudden you own the space. 
Do you think uh, we're taking wild turns here? But <laughs> you know, like that, that's what it is. Do you think that's true in podcasting though? Because I would almost push back on that a little bit because I feel like in podcasting there's still so much focus on new and noteworthy or something like that where I maybe like the the industry hasn't matured enough yet to have searchability, but it's really hard to be found as a podcast. You almost mm. need to have like something happen where like you either get lucky or you're in the new and noteworthy and somebody shares it or something like that. But would you like as somebody who's been podcasting for way longer than I have been, uh, would you agree? Would you disagree? We never made it into new and noteworthy. Um, and we ran through the gamut of tactics and I, and I can tell you what does work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and, and honestly, like the answer, and this is like the least satisfying one. It's like the things that you already know. It's like, you know, being consistent is probably more important than anything because as we built the show, we learned that like people commute when they listen to our show or they work out or whatever it is. And so they expect us every week and we don't, they're pissed. And what happens is they leave, they unsubscribe and it's like this silent you know, thumb mm-hmm. vote down. We don't even know. Um, I I think that there's a ton of space for podcasts, similar to what's happening with sites. Only podcasts are even newer than like the right. dot coms. Is that like you just got to niche down? And there's such value in talking to only a hundred people who are actually going to be your customers. Right? Everyone's like, I have like a million followers. Who cares? Talk to a hundred people that really resonate with you. That's all you need. I think what you mentioned there is really being niche because when I launched this podcast, kind of didn't know that. And I think we talk about a whole bunch of different things. And if I had to guess one thing that's kind of, I mean, the podcast is growing. Like every month we have more subscribers, more more downloads, which is great. But I think the one thing that is keeping me back like this podcast is that we're not specific enough. Like it's just kind of like, oh, we talk about like remote related things. And people aren't seeing that like immediate ROI on like, why would I listen to this podcast? Right. Uh, as opposed to like, I feel like listen, money matters. Like you immediately hear that you look at the description you're like, Oh, I know exactly why I'm listening to this podcast. Right. Would you, would you agree with that? I think to a degree, I, I, I think, um, everyone underplays word of mouth that has mm. been for any of my brands, businesses, like the undertone, because, uh, like I mentioned Tom Wheelwright's book, not because he's paid me a dime, you know, and there's literally no money to be made selling books from Amazon. It's just, it's that good. And it had a change, you know, change in my life. Um, and so I think, uh, being something for someone instead of, you know, uh, you know, a little bit of whatever for everybody it, that really matters. Like Unless it matters, we drank beer, we cursed, we marked the podcast as explicit. These are all things that are like no-nos. Like who's going to advertise an explicit podcast or whatever? And you said the F word and my kid was listening in the car. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just not in our target market. It's okay to fire you know, customers and fire fans if they're not. Because then if you try and become what they want, you're actually nothing for anyone. Yeah, we've uh, I've marked multiple episodes on here explicit because like I curse sometimes and like that's okay and I'm not gonna like filter me or or, or the guests or anything like that. Uh, I did want to ask you something. So looking at the like the team behind Lasso, right? Hmm. I see that that your that your wife Laura is uh is part of the team, and I know that she was also really involved in Listen Money Matter. So I'm curious. 
what is the experience like of running a business with your partner? Because there's some people who say that they love it, that they really suggest it. There's other people who are like, no, we got to keep that separate. You know, when we come home, we don't want to also be talking about work. What is like your experience been with that? And what, what suggestions or tips do you have for anyone who might be considering working with their partner? I would say, um, to, you know, turn, you know, like put the mirror up and, and look at yourself and think of the things that you want and matter to you. And if you could imagine your significant other demanding these things of you and, you know, now you have to do these things you don't even want to do. And now you're getting stressed both from like trying to make rent or mortgage and your significant other said, I can't believe you didn't edit that post. And so you have to like, more so than someone on the team who you're paying and you're probably not paying your significant other because you're working together, let them flow into their spots, dial it up or down as works for them because uh, they'll they'll uh, pull for you more than anyone else, but uh, you can't squeeze them dry because they're not on hourly. They're, they're there forever, you know? Yeah, and I also think it's, uh, it can also be, like it can also be tough because you need to, you know maybe like somebody fucks up and you want to like tell them like hey like you you know when it's like an employee you can do it one way but it's when it's your partner you got to play that game a little bit differently yeah. right you have to be able to be frank with each other but also it's like um you could you you can mess something up you know the truth is both of you will mess a hundred things up a week but you don't need to mention all one hundred you could probably get away with mentioning the three biggest and that'll be enough. Or, or, you know, next week you mentioned last week's one and that's one of your three. And so you have to be, you have to be kind and, um, it's hard, but you know, uh, having done many business partnerships, it's way easier with a significant other because there's, there's more positive than just business in the front and business in the back. So what are, I think we kind of like focus on, on, the, on the negatives here and kind of like the dicey things, but like what, what are some of the benefits? Like what have been some of the benefits to the business of having you and Laura both involved in it? You know, she knows me. I know her. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And so I could see her doing things that maybe aren't what she really wants to do or playing to her strengths. And so I can suggest places for her to go um, in the business you know, have encouraged her to open, you know, new sites. Some of our, our current biggest affiliate site is her side project while we're working on Listen Money Matters. And it's one of those things where, you know, you need to be focused and he or she or whoever the significant other needs to be focused. But who are you to kind of point that focus? Maybe you could have influence, but it should be like a helpful influence. And so, you know, it, it's really helping them know they, they do a good job and helping them find their best seat. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. It's something that like my wife and I have always considered, like, do we start like, you know, we've, we've discussed like maybe starting like a YouTube channel together. Cause we both like really enjoy that, but it's always been like, a ah, uh, like, I don't know how are we going to manage this and like that kind of stuff. So we've always like played with the idea and have been interested in it, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate your feedback. Well, Andrew, this has been uh, super fun. It's so 
so awesome to finally meet you and, and to connect and, and to have you here on the podcast. Uh, like I said, I've been listening to Listen Money Matters for a really long time. Let people know, uh, where can they find you? Uh, I know that you're on Twitter. Uh, where can they go and check out Get Lasso? Uh, since, uh, you know, if anybody's listening who runs an affiliate site, that can be really, really helpful for them. Yeah, so you can go to getlasso.co. Uh, and just talk with us. We have obsessive customer success where we will like literally help you build your business. Um, and then if you just want to tweet me, say hi, tell me that I'm like the worst podcaster ever, uh, <laughs> just uh, Andy Feeb on Twitter, A-N-D-Y-F-I-E-B. I talk about building teams, businesses, SEO, like basically all the stuff I've learned over the last decade. Perfect. Well, Andrew, this has been uh, super fun. Thank you so much for coming by. Yeah, absolutely, man. I loved it.